Church, it's my honor and privilege to welcome up Pastor Lucas Connell to the stage. For those of you who have never heard, Pastor Lucas, him and his wife, Jackie, uh, planted a church, celebrate church down in, uh, in the Gold Coast in 2021. But prior to that, Pastor Lucas has been traveling all across the globe, evangelizing, preaching the gospel, moving powerfully in the Holy Spirit. He himself has an amazing story of getting radically set free from addiction, and he's seen similar things break off of so many people, chronic depression, anxiety, so many miraculous signs and wonders follow this man's preaching of the word. So can I encourage you, church, can we lean in and honor the man of God as he comes to bring the word? Excellent. So good. So good. Father, we just thank you that you are in this place. And God, we just declare right now from the outset that every knee will bow its name to the... To, Every knee will bow to the name of Jesus Christ. God, we speak to the spirit realm right now. And God, I just declare right now that freedom is coming in such a powerful way. And so, Father, we thank you. We're expectant for all that you're going to do in this next uh, little while. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Let's give the worship team a great hand. Awesome. You can grab your seats. Hey, uh, just give me a quick wave if you haven't heard me speak this weekend. Just will help me. Yeah. Good. Welcome. Hey, it's great to see you. And uh, we've been kind of going since Friday night and this morning. And, and uh, I'm just really believing. I, I've got a sense. I actually changed my message tonight. And this wasn't the kind of message that I thought I'd do on a night of fire. But I feel like God's told me to go after some stuff and, uh, and just to go after a, a really a religious spirit that sometimes can get in all of us. And I just feel like God's going to slay some stuff in such a powerful way that brings radical freedom. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, I've shared my story each time, but uh, I, I, you know, ended up being really what society would call a junkie. Uh, I was injecting drugs from the age of 15 to 23. I had drug-induced psychosis. I was smoking marijuana every day, excessive alcohol, ecstasy, acid, uh, amphetamines. Like I said, I was uh, uh, mentally ill, hearing voices at television would speak to me. I was suicidal. Uh, 23 years old, addicted to drugs, no friends left because I'd lied and cheated, stole, robbed. And, uh, you know, as I became a Christian... I remember God giving me insight into what it was that really led me on that really dark path. And of course, there were lots of things, like both of my parents did drugs and modeled that. Of course, that didn't help. Uh, I was drawn to the wrong kind of friendship groups, and that didn't help. And, and then, of course, I was responsible for decisions that I chose to make. But God revealed something to me once I became a Christian after the age of 23 that really was the thing that, that, that catapulted, that set it up for this life of addiction. And it's a thing that's probably happened to many people within this room. And it was just the simple fact that when I was about five years old, my mum and dad uh, got divorced. And as a little boy that is five years old and dad is, is the hero, he's the one you look to. And all of a sudden I went from being a kid where dad lived at home to the point where dad was now gone. And I would see my dad on Friday nights, but it wasn't the same. 
And so what God revealed to me once I became a Christian is that when I was that five-year-old little boy, within my psyche, I, within my subconscious, I felt like my dad's love had been taken away from me. And I set off on an internal quest without realizing to get my dad's love back. And again, so subconsciously as I grew up, I would watch my dad on Friday nights and I saw that my dad, my earthly dad, he valued excessive drinking. He valued being the person at the party that would kind of be the fool and make everybody laugh. He valued taking drugs. He valued sleeping with kind of random women. And, and so as a little boy, as I grew especially into a teenager in my, in my, in my psyche, I thought to myself, if I get really good at all of the things that my dad values, then maybe I'll get his love back. And you know the story, it didn't get me my dad's love back. Instead, it caused me to become what society would call a mentally ill junkie that didn't have much to offer society. And while society saw me as a mentally ill junkie, God the Father, he saw me as a little boy that was simply on a quest to try and get back his earthly dad's love. And at 23, I had a radical encounter with the love of the Father. And in a moment, he healed me of those addictions. He healed my mind. It was a powerful encounter. I fell in love with Jesus. I fell in love with God. But as time went on, there was still that same wiring on the inside that I had this sense again without realizing, I wonder how long it'll be before God the Father's love is also taken from me. And again, within my subconscious, I looked at what my new heavenly Father valued, and He values prayer and fasting and going to church and telling people about Jesus and giving and all those good things. But, but I had this unhealthy kind of wiring that said, if I don't get really good at all of those things, it'll be a matter of time before my dad's love will be taken away from me. And so I would go through this continuous cycle as this brand new Christian that was on fire for God, but I'd go through this cycle of striving and trying to earn something that was already a free gift. That, 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 that I would, uh, you know, I was doing all those things that are good things, fasting, praying, giving, serving, all good things, but I was doing them out of an unhealthy place because I was doing them to try and keep something that I could never lose. And I would normally last about three or four months of this, this incredible striving and pursuing and trying to earn something that was a free gift. And I would end up so burnt and so tired and in an absolute heap. And I'd have some kind of encounter with the love of the Father. And he'd speak to me again. And he'd say, Lucas, I'm your Father. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You don't have to earn my love. It's a free gift and I'll always be with you. And you could say that in a sense I was totally saved and found. But at the same time I was lost. I was lost in religion. I was lost in works-based Christianity. And I want to talk on this subject, and we're going to go after some stuff of this spirit of religion, because it's hideous. And I saw this picture as I was praying today of a python that represents a spirit of religion 
that comes in the name of God, but it wraps itself around us to literally suck the life out of us. And instead of being full of life and people that give life, we become tired and burdened because religion tries to wrap itself around us. And so I want to read a story that's in Luke chapter 15, and in a moment we'll look at verse 25 to 32. But in my Bible, it's called, you know how there's titles, it's called The Lost Son. And it's actually an incorrect title. And if you think I'm speaking, you know, it's okay, okay, because the titles were not God-inspired in a sense. They were added in the 1600s. Before the 1600s, there were no titles, you know, like of your little headings of what the parable's about. There were actually no chapters or verses. They were just letters. They were books. I'm thankful they added the chapters and verses because who knows it's easier as a preacher if I can say, hey, turn to chapter 6, verse 16. Imagine if we just had to say, hey, turn to that part in the middle of the book where it talks about who knows we'd all be in a lot of trouble. And so I'm thankful, but it kind of misses the moment because I'll show you why, but it shouldn't be called the lost son. The story starts, the, the, the most famous part of the story starts where the youngest son, he kind of says to the father, I, I've had enough. I, I want to get out of here. I'm sick of living in your house. Give me my inheritance and I'm going to go. And he heads off to a distant country where the Bible says he squandered his money, his inheritance on wild living, on partying, on prostitutes. He, he's, he, he's living a wild life. He eventually completely spends his entire inheritance and he ends up with nothing. And then with nothing, his friends desert him. He's now got no friends, but there is a severe famine. Can, can I just sidetrack for a moment? Sometimes a famine is actually the gift and grace of God. Because sometimes the famine in your life is the vehicle that God is sending to get you back to where you're meant to be. Sometimes we think it's the devil that sent the famine, but God says, no, it's an act of mercy. I've sent a famine to help get you back to where you're meant to be. Because without the famine, who knows, the younger son would never have come home. And the famine came and he ended up in, a, in, in, in feeding pigs, which was an abomination to a Jewish person. And then eventually he comes to his senses. It says, I'm just going to go back home and I won't be a son, but I'll just be a servant. I'll live in the servant quarters. And uh, imagine him with the stench of the pig smell all over him, the stench of the sin that was on the inside of him, that he'd been living this, this sinful life. And the Bible says as he's on his way home, it says, while he is a long way off, the father sees him. I love that picture because who knows that you, you don't ever accidentally see someone a long way off. You only ever see someone a long way off if you're intently looking for that person. I wonder if they're, oh, there she is, she's alone. And it paints this picture of a father that had lost his son, but every day he stood at that same spot going, I hope this is the day that my son returns. And when he saw his son walking with the stench of the pig smell, it was very undignified for a Jewish man to run, but this father who represents God, he literally ran towards this young boy. And he put his arms around him and he kissed his neck. 
He wasn't freaked out by the stench of his sin or the pig mark. See, let me tell you, God's not freaked out by your sin. He paid the price for your sin so that He could hold you as messy as you are, that He could hold you close. That, that with the, the most grossest of sins all over you, He pulls you close and says, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. He gives in the, 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 the ring on His finger that speaks of authority, the robe of righteousness. See, I love this. He said, quick, put the robe on Him. Not because God was freaked out by his sin, but so that nobody else would see the sin that was on his life. He said, quick, let's cover him in the clothes that he should be wearing so that nobody sees the state that he's in so that shame won't come upon him. He put the robe on in the ring. He put sandals on his feet, which speak of destiny. And they killed the fattened calf. And then we find ourselves in the not so popular part of the story about the other brother in verse 25. And we're going to read it. it, says this, I should have worn my glasses, then I could actually look at the back and pretend I'm still looking at you, but anyway, I'm going to have to do this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. Next one. Are we good? Oh, we're going to go over here now. Okay. All right. So he called one of the servants... And he asked him what was going on. Am I going this way now? What are you doing to me? I should just bring my own Bible, shouldn't I? Your brother has come. I think I'm getting it now, okay? I'm, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down. All right, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. See, see, see watch this. Who knows that this guy might be more lost than the other guy because when you're angry about someone coming back into the kingdom of God, then you might be a little bit more lost than the person that just got found. He was angry that his brother had come back in. He became angry and refused to come in, so his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years, I've served on the kids' ministry. I've done car park. I'm a part of vision builders. I've been tithing. I've been turning up early to the prayer meetings. I'm paraphrasing in case you're wondering. I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you have never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Is that it? That is it. Let's give the thanks for that journey. See, really, it shouldn't be called the parable of the lost son. It should be called the two lost sons. See, see, one was lost in the world, but one was lost in the house. See, see, one was lost in sin and in the world. The other was lost in the house who was lost in religion. 
lost in workspace Christianity. Remember I said to you there were no titles, there were no chapters, there were no verses. When Jesus told this parable, he didn't just tell this parable, he told three parables, but they're all the same. Remember, he says there was a shepherd who had sheep and one particular sheep left the pen. And because he left the pen, he got caught in the thickets. And the shepherd loved the sheep so much that he left the 99 to go and rescue and untangle the sheep that had been caught up in the thickets. And he brought him home to where he belonged. No no chapter, no title, no verses. Then there was a woman who represents God who had 10 coins, but she lost one of her coins. And the coin was lost in her house and she desperately turned the lights on. She swept and swept and swept until she found the coin that was lost in the house. No chapters, no verses. Then there was a man who represents God who had two sons. And the younger son, let's just say he was a sheep that decided to leave the safety of the house. And because he left the house, he got caught up in the thickets of life. But the shepherd loved him so much that he untangled him and brought him back to the house. But at the same time, there was an older brother who was also in the house. He never left the house, but he was lost inside of the house. And the father's desire was to sweep the floor, to turn on a light so that that this son would also be found. See, the older brother <laughs> was lost in religion. <clears throat> and really the whole point of a spirit of religion, I hate this spirit. See, at least the spirit of lust doesn't pretend to be something that it's not. When someone gives into a spirit of lust, they're enticed by their flesh and they know what they are giving in to. But a religious spirit is so hideous because it dresses up in the name of God. It comes dressed as God, but it is just as evil, if not more so, than a spirit of lust because it it portrays that it's here to give life, but it does the opposite. It takes life, and rather than lift up, it beats down. The whole purpose of a religious spirit, I want you to catch this, is literally to distort the way that you see the Father. See, when we saw that picture that I tried to paint to you of a father undignified running toward this boy, not being worried about his sin, but but grabbing him with his sin and holding him tight and kissing him on the neck and giving him sandals and a robe and and a ring and and killing a fattened cup, we see the true picture of who the Father is. But this older brother, his image of who the father really was, was one that was distorted. See, a religious spirit, its entire purpose is to distort the way that you see the father. And I want to give you two quick ways that, 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 that a religious spirit will distort the way that you see the father. Number one is the older brother, he saw him as a taskmaster instead of a rewarder. See, when someone is a taskmaster, that's not someone that I want to hang around with. Someone that I would say, well, he's a taskmaster. He's someone that requires a lot from me, but hardly gives anything in return. Some people see God like that because it's a spirit of religion. Oh, God's just someone that requires a whole lot. He's always requiring of me and he doesn't really give much in return. 
where it's the absolute opposite because God's not a taskmaster. He's actually a rewarder. See, the older, in verse 29 and 31, it's where the older brother says, hey, I've been serving this whole time. And basically he says, where's my party? And then watch this, God says, son, you've always been with me. And everything I have is yours. Watch this. Who knows that you can be in the room. You might have been here in worship tonight, but you won't really hear in worship. Who knows that you can be with someone, but you're not really present with someone. So he was in the vicinity, but he wasn't really with him. See, the reason a religious spirit distorts the way that you see the Father is because when it becomes distorted and you start seeing him as a taskmaster instead of a rewarder, you will stop being with him. Your intimacy will stop because I don't want to be intimate with a taskmaster. I don't want to pursue a taskmaster. I don't want to get up early to hang out with a taskmaster. But a rewarder, that's someone that I want to come after. I want to chase a rewarder. I want to pursue a rewarder. I want to get to know a rewarder. And the reason why this religious spirit stops you uh, from seeing him as a rewarder is because then you'll stop being with him. And if you were truly with him, you would see that everything he has is actually already yours. See, that's why the devil doesn't want you to be with him. Because if you were truly with him in intimacy, you would start to see that everything he has, it's actually already mine. Prosperity, that's already mine. A healthy marriage, that's already mine. Healing in my body, that's already mine. Freedom from depression and anxiety, that's already mine. Blessing and favor and prosperity, that's already mine. Children going on for God, that's already mine. He said, you're all ready with me and everything I have is yours, but he couldn't see it. See, you've got to understand that God is a rewarder. So many scriptures I could bring where he says he rewards those who diligently seek him. He says the word of God, when it gets in you, it produces a harvest 30, 60, and 100 fold. Anyone that invests, know that if you're getting a 30% return, that is a good return. Your super is probably making 8% a year. 30%, 60%, 100% is amazing return because he's a rewarder. The whole thing of sowing and reaping. God created this system, not of just giving, but of giving and receiving. Sowing and reaping, seed time and harvest time. You know, I, I don't like when people say, and uh, I hope I don't upset anyone, or maybe I do, but uh, <clears throat> I don't like when we make the statement, don't give to get. And I understand it because we're speaking to motives and don't have selfish motives. But I believe it does more harm than good because it's not just sowing, it's sowing and reaping. And, and, and people in trying to do the right thing, that have said this thing, don't give to get, what they've done is they've stopped people from tapping in to the receiving, the sowing. It's not just giving, it's giving and receiving. It's sowing and reaping. The reason I don't like it as well is because God gave to get. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So yes, he had the right motives, but with the right motives, he gave his one and only son. 
He gave the best that he had so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. When God gave Jesus, he didn't be like, well, I don't want to give to get. He gave Jesus and he said, I'm expecting to receive. Every time someone else gives their life to Jesus in an altar call, I'm so glad that I sowed my greatest seed and I'm just going to keep reaping and reaping and reaping for all of an eternity. Just if the keyboarder could come, I've still got another point. But I remember... I remember being in this amazing church, it was a C3 church, and very big vision, big focus. And I started believing, just to, I was an itinerant at the time, I started believing that I would receive $10,000. It was just this prayer. I said, God, I'm just going to believe that you're going to somehow give me $10,000. And I prayed it. And as I prayed it, God spoke to me so clearly. And he said, but Lucas, you've never sown in tens of thousands. And I was like, get behind me. That is the devil. Because <laughs> you know, don't you hate when you just ask God something and he flips it on you? But remember, he's only doing it because he's a rewarder and he wants to get something to you. And so I'm pretty stubborn. Every week I keep praying the same prayer. God, I just pray for a $10,000 blessing. And every time I pray, he says, but Lucas, you've sown lots in thousands. You've received lots in thousands, but you've never given in tens of thousands. And again, it just keeps happening and... We did our vision builders at this particular church. It was in America. And finally, we had just moved to America and we, we had like uh, got a bit of money together and people supported for us to be able to move there. We had a bit of a buffer. It was a big step of faith. I went from getting lots of bookings to hardly any at the start. And we were down to our last $10,000 US. And finally, it's coming up vision builders. And I said to my wife, I said, because I didn't even tell her, but I said for about two, three months, I've been praying this prayer. And God keeps saying this. I said, I feel like we should give, for us, I, we, I do pledges every year, but I felt like in this moment that it wasn't to be a pledge, just in one go that we'd give this $10,000. And I told my wife this and she said, yep, I feel like it's God. And I was so disappointed because I wanted her to say no. And then I could blame her and say, God, it was that woman that you gave me. I was the man of faith, but God, it's her. Straight away, she said, yes. We sowed the $10,000. At that time, we only had one car because we went from being fairly blessed here, had a great house and all that. Going back to America, in a sense, financially, we went a fair bit backwards, but we were following the call of God. We sowed the $10,000. And literally the next day, someone invited us to the house. And we got to the house, we didn't know why we had to be there, and they opened the garage door, and there was a, a, a Highlander Toyota, cost them 43,000 US dollars. And they said, hey, this is your car, God told us to buy it for you. They gave us the car. The amazing thing is my wife had had a picture of that car on her prayer wall for 12 months that she had been praying for. About four months later, God gives us a vision for a ministry that we started called Freedom Experience. But we needed some finance to be able to do the marketing and the website and all that kind of stuff. I have a business guy from New York ring me up and he says, I want to give you $30,000 so that you can start Freedom Experience. He said, the only problem, he asked me, he says, is it okay if I give you 10,000 this month, 10,000 next month and 10,000 the month after? Fast forward a year, from that moment that we sowed the $10,000 and 
And for the first time, someone walked up to me and gave me $10,000 personally and said, God's told me to give this to you. See, the thing that I want, see, the devil is okay with you giving because anyone that keeps on giving but doesn't tap into receiving will grow tired of giving and become disgruntled. The devil knows that. A relationship breaks down when one person is doing all the giving but not getting any receiving. The devil understands that. But the person that taps in to giving by faith but then receiving by faith from a rewarder, that person becomes addicted to giving and just says, I'm going to keep going and going and going and going and going. Since that day, I've given that amount many, many times and now double that and I've seen more. I can tell you many more stories where God has blessed us in ridiculous ways. See, the thing is like this. When you understand that he's a rewarder and the devil doesn't want you to catch this, he wants you to be religious. You better give your tithe. And you should tithe. But at the same time, you should tap into the fact that I'm tithing and he's a rewarder. So I'm expecting the blessing of God. I'm looking for the blessing of God. I'm pursuing the blessing of God. See, but it's like this. If you were to get a tennis ball and I was to throw it in the air, what would I do when I threw it? Because I understand the law of gravity, I will get ready to catch it because I know that if it went up, it's coming down. That's what sowing and reaping is. It's not sowing, it's, not, it's giving and receiving, sowing and reaping. Religiosity just wants to see you to see him as a taskmaster that's just demanding. But I want to tell you, he's a rewarder. He loves to reward. He created an entire system that's based on rewarding you. The second thing, and then we're going to pray. And this is the one that I'm going to probably pray into a lot. It's kind of a quick point. But the second thing, how religion distorts the image, is that you see God as a judge instead of a father. See, a father, a good father, decides your worth purely based on who you are. A judge, it's a judge's job to decide your worth based on what you've done. A father, regardless of what you've done, says your worth is incredible simply because of who you are. You're my daughter. You're my son. A judge, it's his job to assess what has and hasn't happened and then make a verdict. I remember I was praying for a young guy and this guy was struggling as a worship leader and struggling with sexual sin. And he was so beaten up. <clears throat> this guy loved God so much, but he was so condemned, so guilty. And as I'm praying for him, I get this picture. And I often get impressions. And when I get an impression... It's normally an impression that I've seen a hundred times because the reality is we all have the same issues. They're not normally new. God shows me certain things and I know this is this person's problem. It's what I've got to pray into. 
But when I prayed for this young man, for this sexual thing, I saw this image that I'd never seen. It was the first time. And it was this little almost goblin or being. And I knew he was evil and he was holding a measuring stick. And as soon as I saw it, I knew in my spirit that it was a spirit of religion. Because what a spirit of religion does is it holds up a measuring stick. And when there's a measuring stick held up, there's only two ways that you can go. That spirit of religion comes and holds up the measuring stick and you look at that other person, you go, well, they don't tithe, I do. They don't go to church both morning and night, I do. And now you're measuring that you're better than them and now you're in pride. Or the other way that the spirit of religion goes is that where a lot of us go is that measuring sticks held up and we go, yeah, I'm unworthy. I'm not good enough. I've sinned too many times. I'll never be like them. And either way is demonic because the only measuring stick that matters is the cross of Jesus Christ. The only measuring stick that, that has any truth behind it is the cross of Calvary. That when I look to the cross, yes, I've messed up, but I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I'm holy. I'm blameless. I remember, we're just about done. We're going to pray. But I remember, remember I was fasting. And I was on day three of a water fast, praying each day. And I'm walking, and it's day three. I haven't eaten. I've been praying. And then all of a sudden, I remember where I was walking. I was in San Diego. And all of a sudden, these thoughts came to me so strong of the mistakes that I've made in my past. And they came into my heart. And I, they, they got in my heart. I'm like, yeah, oh man, just wish I hadn't have made those mistakes. And then as I keep walking, I'm, I'm getting down and I, I'm just, oh man. Like, and now I'm, now I'm letting condemnation and shame get in my heart. And then I have this moment of discernment. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Here I am. I'm fasting and praying. You can't get more spiritual than that. Like there's nowhere else to go. And here I am doing the, apparently the most spiritual thing there is and I still feel like I'm not good enough and I discern, you stinking, dirty, religious spirit, you will not speak to me. You will not put a measuring stick up to me. I'm holy. I'm blameless. My God's a rewarder. He's not a judge. He's a father that loves me and believes in me. And I'm worthy, not because of what I have or haven't done. I'm worthy because I'm a son of the king. Last story. I remember preaching in a youth conference in England, a big youth conference called Rock Nations, and I did this message, and it was literally around the love of the Father. I told the story that I shared with you at the start about my own dad, and it was one of those meetings, I don't know, I think there was about 800 teenagers, and without me exaggerating, there's at least three to 500 of them at the end of the service that were on their hands and knees and all you could hear was a wailing as kids just cried and wept in the presence of God. The love of the Father, I was undone. I couldn't talk, I couldn't pray, I was undone. Because the love of the Father that just came across the room 
to those beautiful teenagers. But I'll never forget it. An English man that was about 70 years old, he had an orange vest on because he was one of the volunteers. He came to me, he was a blubbering mess. I could hardly understand him because of the tears, but also because of his strong English accent. He came to me. He said, Lucas, I've been in the church my whole life. And tonight, I realized he loves me just the way I am. And then we hugged and he wept and he cried on my shoulder. And it was a, an incredible happy moment. But at the same time, it was a sad moment because I thought you've been a coin. You were in the house, but you were lost in the house. Religion wrapped its python thing around you. And rather than giving you life, it sucked the life. You've been in the house. You were probably saved, but you've been seeing your father as a taskmaster, as a judge, just standing around judging every action. See, remember the older brother didn't want to go into the party. You know how you know when there's a religious spirit and we all deal with it in your life? When Christianity stops being a party. Now, I'm not saying a theology, I understand there are mountaintops and there are valleys. We go through tough stuff. But if Christianity's become a job that you have to do, there's probably a spirit of religion. Because you remember the day when you worship, not because they told you you should, you could not worship. You could not lift your hands because you knew he's a father. He's my dad and he's a rewarder. He's just looking this week to bless me. He, I can't wait for Monday because I don't know how he's going to bless me, but he's going to bless me because it's who he is. He's a rewarder. And we're going to pray into that in a moment. I really saw this in my spirit. I saw a python literally wrapped around people. It was the spirit of religion. And, and it's tight and it's sucking the life. And tonight God's going to break that off your life. But before we pray into that, just really quickly, if you're in this place, just sitting in your seat and close your eyes. I'm not going to draw this out. You'll know if it's you. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you're like the younger brother that you left the house and you've been caught up in the world, or maybe you're the older brother and you don't even know if you're really saved. Before we move in and we pray for people and open the altar, I want to ask you that question right now. If that's you, you're either of those people and you just need to get right with God. I'm not going to draw it out. You'll know if it's you. If that's you, quickly put up your hand right now. You're saying, I've got to get right with God. Just right now, if that's you, just lift your hand right now. If that's Yeah, I'd love to pray for you. Good on you. I could see God moving all over you tonight. Yeah, man, I'd love to pray for you as well. So good. Someone else, just saying yes. He loves you so much. You're just not right with God. And before we move on and we pray for people, you just, you just know, you know what? I've got to do some business with God. I need to get right. Is there, is there anyone else that wants to do that? It's two people already saying yes to the love of God. Is there anyone else? I'm going to move on right now. Is there anyone else? Yeah, man, love to pray for you as well. So proud of you, buddy. Anyone else just saying yes? Three people. Three beautiful people getting right with God. I'm going to ask one last time, is there anyone else that wants to do that? Here's what we're going to do for those three people, the two here and one over there. We're going to pray a simple prayer. And I want you to mean these words with all your heart. Someone will speak to you after the service. But for right now, mean these words with all your heart. But as a, as a family, we're going to also pray. So let's all pray. Say, Dear Father, Dear Father 
Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Thank you that you forgive me for everything that I've done wrong. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done wrong. Today, I give you my life. Come and live in my heart. Help me to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why is everyone standing at their feet? Here's what I simply want to ask. If you're in this place right now and you relate to striving, to that religious spirit, to that measuring stick, to seeing God as judge, to that Python analogy, I believe God's going to set you free tonight in such a powerful way and what I saw in, 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 my, in my heart is that your worship is going to start to be like a party again. And so if that's you right now, I want you to just quickly make your way to the front because we're going to pray. Come on, you've been in works, you've been striving. Come on, just come. Come on, if that's you, just come right now. Many people just coming right now, just come right to the front. Come on, if that's you, just come. Come on. Spirit of God, sepa la hande, valebe be sembe, halebe se kariyande. God, just Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. There's some of you. Here's what I feel. This is for people at the front, but it's also for people in the crowd that haven't yet come. There's some of you that are struggling with secret sin, and the reason you're trapped in that sin is not because you're not good enough but it's because you're stuck in religion. And what that means is you're trying to overcome the sin in your own strength. You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to be strong enough. But the whole thing of this, the reason why God is awesome and good is you're not good enough, but He wants to do it on your behalf. He's like, just partner with me. I want you to know, I'm not your judge. I'm, your, I'm a rewarder. I'm your father. And I'm telling you, I believe there's people tonight, and this is not confession time, but there's going to be sin in your life that you've struggled with. And your testimony this week is going to be, man, I was in sin, but now I'm victorious. I'm on top of it. It's no longer got me. And simply it was the revelation that religion has no longer got you in the name of Jesus, Spirit of God. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. Come on, team, and we pray for these people. Come on. Holy Ghost, there it is. 